Alex Rickich almost killed Jimmy. Henry Cejudo is fucking cringy. With the fired selection and the fired reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. Woo! What is happening, everybody? So pumped to record this episode. We had a lot that went on on these fights last weekend. Of course, I'm talking about UFC Stockholm. And we've got a lot to cover with UFC 238 as well. So let's just get right the hell into it. Um, first, I wanted to start, um, just because I mentioned it last episode, um, had surgery on Friday the 31st. And um, I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would. I really thought um, I would just be like fucking, I don't know, like tired as shit from the medicine and, and all that and um, not able to record or at least be like half-assed. I thought I was going to sound like the goddamn David after dentist video or something, a woozy from the medication, but I am all good, uh, at least in terms of my energy level and everything. So I definitely wanted to to get this one out for you guys. A uh, couple things that I wanted to highlight from the prelims. Uh, we started out the night, Joel Alvarez uh, TKO'd Danilo Beluardo, and this was a great fight, mostly because the whole time I was watching Joel Alvarez being like, another 6'3 lightweight? Is this going to be like James Vick all over again? And um, he took care of business for sure. He got what they call the uh, Dagestani handcuffs. He uh, reversed his opponent and trapped his wrist while just raining down punches. And um, it wasn't like a dominant performance because I think it was kind of back and forth before then, but uh, definitely a nice win. And um, it's one of those things that's going to look better over time because both of these guys are kind of new in their career. So we don't know how good it is, like how good Joel's going to be or how good Danilo's going to be, but um, they both looked good. And um, God, I hope they open up that 165 pound division. Guys like that need to be in there. Dude, I do not want to see a 6'3 monster Cut down to 155. Dude, I'm 6'3", and I'm 205. I'm a light heavyweight. So think about that. Of course, everyone's body composition is different, but I'm just saying, dude. Crazy. Um, we had some awesome KOs on the prelims. Fucking Leonardo Santos knocking the piss out of Stevie Ray. No disrespect intended. I actually like Stevie Ray a lot, but oh my god, this was great. And he's a <laughs> he's a jujitsu guy. I literally think his um, handle on Instagram is like Leonardo Santos JJ. Like he's a jujitsu guy, and I mean that was like classic slip and rip. He he dodged the left hand of uh, Stevie Ray and fired back with the right of his own, and it just shut the lights out. His legs went off from under him, and that was all she wrote. Um, and Frank Camacho getting it done over Nick Hine. Now, I I knew he would win, but I thought it would be like a style, like a a typical Frank Camacho fight where he coaxes his opponent into a brawl. And I actually thought if he did that, Nick Hine might be able to capitalize on it, get a takedown because Nick, Nick Hine's more of a grappler, I think. And um, I'm glad he didn't. He listened to his new coaches. We'll talk about that a little bit in the listener questions. Um, but Frank Camacho really showing a different version of himself. And I like where he's headed. It should be really fun to watch him. I mean, it's always fun to watch him. But I mean, 
as far as where he's going to progress. He almost seems like a little bit dad Cerrone. Like, you know, he's like finally taking his career seriously, you know? I mean, obviously Cerrone didn't really change his fighting style, but, um, I mean, this is a, this is a really nice improvement from him. Uh, Lena Landsberg finishing Tanya Evinger. Uh, I love this performance as well. Lena Landsberg, obviously, um, a Swedish gal. And uh, Tanya Evinger, someone who, who came with a lot of hype from Invicta. She was the Invicta champion for a while at Bantamweight and then got a short-notice call-up to fight Cyborg because uh, Megan Anderson had to pull out of that fight uh, for some personal reasons. I'm not sure. And uh, she went three rounds with Cyborg, and I was like, damn, she's fucking tough. But she was getting the shit kicked out of her. Um, and then... She rebounded against Aspen Ladd, and Aspen Ladd made quick work of her. And um, so her UFC run hasn't been that great thus far. So I'm not I'm not really ready to write her off yet. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, she's done. She's hanging up." But she's certainly taking a fair amount of damage. And um, you know, her primary weapons or her primary tools are really her wrestling. And it seems like a lot of the girls in her division just have an answer for that, or they're better wrestlers like Aspen or, you know, don't definitely for sure don't give her to someone like Sarah McMahon. I mean, she'll she'll piece piece her up. But, uh, you know, Tanya Evander, I could, I could see her, you know, there's, there's some favorable matchups in that division. So, I mean, if she's ready to retire, good for her, but I don't think so. I think a lot of people were calling for that on Twitter, and I was like, guys, let's pump the brakes, as Dana likes to say. Um. All right, now let's get into the main card. Now, this was a terrible night for me in terms of picks, but I'm kind of glad. I, I like when something happens that I didn't see. You know, it's, it's an opportunity for learning. And as fucking usual, my analysis of it was pretty accurate, but the outcomes are different. Like, things that I thought would happen happened, but, <laughs> but, but with different outcomes. Uh, so that's just uh, unfortunate. Now... Uh, we start out the main card. Sung Bin Jo um, took on Daniel Tamor, and I was a little hard on Daniel Tamor. I think his brother David is uh, putting it all together very nicely and um, showing showcasing his Muay Thai and his um, his uh, like takedown defense and stuff. They've also given him better matchups. He hasn't run into that many wrestlers. I like that he couldn't, you know, stop the takedowns from anyway. But they just were, I mean, Featherweight is full of those guys. They're just grinders. And um, Daniel Tamor was running into those a lot. You know, Chris Fishgold, Julio Arce, both choked him out. And when I saw that Sung Bin Joe was undefeated and had some a lot of submissions on his record, I was like, perfect, this is another dude. And then they, they walk out. Sung Bin Joe is like six foot tall. I mean, he's huge for Featherweight. And I was like, oh, man, he's done. But Daniel Tamor looked good dude I mean, he looked really good there were some parts where he like was on top and uh sung bin joe had a triangle and you know it was transitioned to an arm bar a couple times actually and i was like fuck but he just didn't give a fuck i mean it was almost like he was really feeding off the um energy of the hometown crowd which can be a detriment to some fighters we'll, we'll get into that later but it seemed like it really um motivated him and super emotional I mean, he knew he won that fight. As soon as the the last bell sounded, he just collapsed and started breaking down into tears. Uh, a very uh, emotional uh, post-fight speech as well. So that was good to see. Like I said, I didn't w- not want to like wish ill on him, but I definitely overlooked him. I was like, ah, he's, he's not really fit for this division. But he proved me wrong, and I'm fucking glad about that. Good for him. 
another guy proving me wrong, Christos Gallegos, beating Demir Hadjevic. Now, this was kind of a pick em fight for me. Uh, I didn't really see either guy having a strong advantage in either area, but it turns out Christos had the advantage in the wrestling, and Demir, unfortunately, looked like he didn't really show up for that fight. It was like he was a disappointment, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a terrible joke. But I was just like waiting for Demir to do the kind of things he did against Nick Hine. And um, I forget who his last opponent was, but he got a he got a TKO in that fight from like the back mount. And I was just like, come on, let's see more of that Demir. And uh, Christos Gallegos was not having it. Um, pretty dominant win for him. And Demir just looked like defeated for most of that fight. Like, I don't know what the deal was i'd love to know maybe maybe something was off with him maybe an injury but unfortunate night for him good for christos gallegos um i think he's like two and one in the ufc now he's just barely starting his run so let's kind of see where he goes and then chris fishgold um took on makwan amir khani i thought fishy was gonna get it done you know gotta support the liverpool crowd uh Plus, Macklin Amir Khan is a cocky piece of shit. Like, I was listening to his interview with um, Ariel Hawani this past week, and he was like, yeah, I had about six amateur boxing fights, and in my first one, the guy beat me. He had, like, 90 fights, and then I brought him in in training, and I knocked him out. And he was just saying, oh, and I was texting with John Kavanaugh, and another sparring partner we had, John texted me that he's, he'd never seen anyone beat him like that. Like, he just didn't give a fuck and was just saying, oh, he was, like, knocking people out. I'm not a big fan of that guy. I used to be, but I don't like his interviews now. It's a piece of shit. Uh, but he got a nice, uh, I call that Dars or an Anaconda, a Makwanaconda. But uh, really, really good fight in general. I think both guys um, gave it their all. And it sucks for, for uh, Chris Fishgold. I know he'll rebound from here, but... Um, I really wanted to see Maquan win. I'll just be honest. I'm sorry, Fishy win. I want to see Maquan lose. But uh, that whole Three Stooges bit where they're like moving away from each other, doing the fucking dance, trying to wrap up the Darce choke. Um, I think Mac Molly made a gif out of it looking like a clock. So funny. Uh, nice win for Maquan. I'll just, I'll just call it like it is. Now, the only fight I got right was uh, Alexander Rakich decapitating Jimmy Manoa. Holy shit. I fucking picked the wrong time to get up and go to the bathroom while these fights were going on. I'll just be real with you guys. I was like, oh, this fight's about to start. Hold on, like, you know, the commercial break before I was playing, and I was like, well, Rick is kind of a slow starter. He's not going to kill Jimmy right away. It'll take a couple rounds. Let me just run to the bathroom real quick. And then I'm, like, in the bathroom, and... I hear my wife go, oh, shit, babe. And the fucking uh, <laughs> announcers were saying like, oh. And then, and then just like silence from the crowd. And I was like, oh, my God. I had to jump on Twitter and catch the highlight from like the UFC's page. And I was just like, oh, my God. What a sick combo, too. He fakes the takedown, comes over the top with a right hook and then a left cross to hide the left high kick. Like he kind of throws the cross as he was bringing that left high kick up and caught him right on the jaw sweet chin music just it almost looked like it was like sometimes when a guy has gets a nice head kick it'll hit on the it'll hit on the neck and then i'll just like shut the lights out it almost looked like he landed half on the neck half on the jaw i mean just the wrong spot for jimmy and the right spot for for alex holy shit 
I mean, that was amazing. And um, he kind of just stood over him. He was like, I'm not going <laughs> to land any more shots. I'm going to wait for the ref to pull him out. Such a right call. Um, really, uh, really hope this guy moves forward in the division after this. He said, I, I watched a little bit of the post-fight show. He said he wants to fight someone ahead of him, uh, get in line. I mean, a lot of those guys are matched up already uh, or they're looking to make a run of themselves. Like someone's got to fight down. Like that's what sucks about the rankings. I almost wish they would get rid of the rankings because guys are using it as a reason to take fights or not take fights. And it's kind of fucking everything up. Like back in the day, they just used to award title shots about who was putting a nice streak together and, uh, you know, somewhat name you know is always going to factor into that you know the fight game is not just about winning it's about you know winning emphatically and um how much of a following you have don't i don't have all hate on that you know um but rakic should be getting uh another top tier opponent next um i have a couple stuff in mind because someone asked about that so i want to talk about that later um the next fight that should have happened <laughs> was Alir Latifi uh, versus Volkan Ozdemir. If you guys missed it, um, Alir had to pull out of the fight just like a day or two before due to a back injury. And obviously at that point, it's too late to find a replacement. Um, actually, after the fact, I saw that um, <laughs> Jack Hermanson was in the crowd. He normally fights at 185. He probably could have made 205 on short notice. But of course, uh, I guess he's been training with uh, Volkan, so they wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I was having a little back and forth on Twitter with uh, Phil, the MMA dude, about this. He was picking Volkan, and I picked Alir. And I was like, well, you can count this as a, as a like Volkan winning by forfeit, but I'm going to count it as a fucking no contest as far as like records go, because there literally was no contest. It just sucked, because I really want to see that fight. I, I think I think it would have been a banger no matter like who won. Like even if I was wrong, it would have been a hell of a fight. Um, and Vulcan clearly beat Dominic Reyes, by the way. If anyone is saying that um, Reyes actually won that fight, if you're just looking at the record, come on. That was terrible. Not the worst robbery of all time. There are definitely other ones that were bad, um, but one of them. I mean, it was really bad. <sighs> now we come to the main event. This was, in many ways, everything I hoped it would be, and in many ways, not what I hoped it would be. And I say it for these reasons. Now, I did pick um, Alexander Gustafson on the record, but I'm a, I'm a fan of Anthony Smith. I like the guy a lot, and I was hoping he would win. I just was trying to look at it objectively and, you know, put myself in check, thinking, you know, Gus has more tools, etc. He's got more um, experience in five-round fights, etc. I thought he could get it done. And he was looking good, but there were times when he was a little tentative, and Anthony was able to capitalize on that. And I'll get into that later um, in the listener questions, but there was a, there was like a couple moments where the, uh, the commentators were saying, oh, he looks loose in there. And I was like, no, he doesn't. He looks t- like... I don't know, he was like fainting weird. He looked like kind of tentative. Gus don't, doesn't normally faint a lot. He just, I mean, his his punches have no tell. He just fires right from the chin. He's got great boxing, and I didn't see that exactly. Um, Anthony looked like he had a little trouble getting started, but once he did, I mean, that rear naked choke is a, is a nice weapon of his. He used it against Volcan. I mean, he can really, 
it's almost like he distracts you. Like he's definitely a striker by trade, but he's showing that he's a you know he earned that black belt over many years studying under uh, I think his name is Scott Morgan, his jujitsu coach, and um, uh, he fucking locked it up. I mean I don't know if uh, well no Gus has been submitted I think by Phil Davis, so it's not like he never gets submitted, but he doesn't usually put himself in those kind of positions to even have it be a factor in the fight like Gus actually has really good wrestling he's the only got to take down DC and John Jones I believe other than each other um which makes me really sad that he left his gloves in the octagon and if it's time for him it's time uh, he certainly doesn't have anything to prove to anyone anymore I think we all know he's one of the elite of uh, the light heavyweight division over the last you know five plus years but I agree with Anthony. Anthony was saying in the post-fight press conference, you know, he doesn't want Gus to think that a loss to Anthony is, like a lot of people are saying, Anthony doesn't belong up there. And I completely disagree with that. We'll get to that later. Um, But I I think Anthony's taking it as like, Gus thinks he's lower on the totem pole. And if he loses to him, that it's like a detriment to his career and all that. And I I don't think so. Um, But it is, I mean... You do see this with a lot of fighters where they, if they've exhausted all their uh, opportunities at the belt, they kind of just like, well, if I can't fight for the belt anymore, like as long as John Jones is champion, which is, let's be fair, it's going to happen for a very long time, Gus is not getting a third shot at that. He is not getting a third crack at that belt. And if DC somehow comes back and wins that belt, which is also not very likely, he's probably not getting that uh, rematch either. His best chance, if he wants to contend for a belt will be to go up to heavyweight i mean dc has the belt there and there's a better case for the rematch at heavyweight um if he can put together some nice wins and um you know dc's also close to retiring so that may not even be a factor i mean he may the time it takes to put together those wins there could be a new champion so i don't want to write gus off just yet i think he was a little emotional it was his hometown crowd but I also, I think going back to what I just said, I think he's just sort of looking at the writing on the wall going, what else is there for me in this division? He's fought and beat most everyone else in there that's a reputable name. So he doesn't really have a lot of places to go that, you know, like what's new for him? There's not a lot of new things he can do, but go up to heavyweight. I would love to see that. But of course, it's a decision, you know, uh, we want to give him some space. I think I think he was a little emotional. Um, and, and saying that, we all know MMA retirement doesn't really last <laughs> always, you know, but I kind of think he might be serious. I don't know. It, it, it's weird. I, I think, you know, he was against the cage. I, I was watching the uh, the post-fight um, Octagon interviews again, and, and when they announced it, he was like leaning up against the cage Looked like he was probably trying to choke back some tears or hide some tears. And I got the impression that he maybe had said to himself, maybe even told a couple of his coaches, like, if I lose this fight, I'm retiring. And we've heard this before. You know, if you are thinking about retirement, if you're putting that caveat on yourself, you kind of already have one foot out, and that is um, a mistake in the fight game. I mean, Anthony said it best in his post-up interview. This is not a sport where you can make one mistake, and you know, a crucial mistake, and still win. 
you know, it's not like basketball or football or whatever where you can come back and there's other ways to win. I mean, that can, like, one mistake can change the course of the fight on a dime. And that's kind of what you saw. Gus went in for that takedown. Uh, Anthony reversed it and um, just took his back and fucking choked him out. And the, and the tap, too, was like, I won't say, like, Anthony held on or anything, but when they showed the replay, Gus tapped like out of view from the ref and so we had to then realize that and bring his hand around to to tap more visibly and so he was he was tapping longer than he wanted to so that's like not only um extra i don't know pain or, or whatever you're feeling there um wooziness from about to go out but also embarrassment like come on dude i already tapped once you know what i mean so it just sucks and those are my thoughts on on the fight but overall uh, amazing card. I was so glad that these were early in the morning because I was able to just fucking, while I was recuperating from surgery, just lay on my couch and watch these fights. Perfect. It was the perfect Saturday morning. I loved it. Um, keep keep tweeting about the fights with me. I love hearing your guys' opinions on them. And uh, let's get into these current events. All right. First up, uh, of, as far as news that came across my feed that I wanted to talk about was uh, Alex Oliveira being involved in a domestic violence case. It's one of his baby mamas or ex-wives or whatever. I mean, he's got like apparently three baby mamas that live on the same street. The guy just doesn't give a fuck. But he was involved in this case where I guess he they were fighting... Allegedly, he hit her and then took their baby and ran on the back of a motorcycle. Like, dude, get 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 your fucking life together. I don't have much thoughts on this other than to say, like, just enormously disappointed. This guy has such a fun fighting style, and he always seems so happy. Like, even when Mike Perry was beating the shit out of him, he was, like, smiling. It was like He was, like, thriving, and they were dancing. And I was like, yeah, I fucked with this guy. And then... Now I don't fuck with this guy because this fucking. It's like, can anyone in the MMA world keep their hands off their goddamn wives? I mean, dude, come on. Just so disappointing. Like, I almost didn't want to bring it up, but. Like, I hope this is the last one I have to bring up, you know? This is just so terrible. And, um,. Not much of a segue, but next thing that I wanted to point out, um, quick shout out to uh, Jason Deal on Twitter pointing out that um, the flyweight rankings only have a top 12, which which means that basically there's only 12 people in the division other than the champion because if there were more, they would just list them, you know, default 13, 14, 15. Like a, a lot of the... Like mo, pretty much every other division has a, a ranking that we don't get to see, like fifteen through thirty, thirty-one through sixty, or whatever. Um, but we don't get to see that. In this case, it only goes up to twelve. We got Juicy Formiga at the top, Joseph Benavides, Alessandro Pantoja, Davison Figueiredo, Tim Elliott, Rogerio Bontorian, Ryan Benoit, or Benoit, I guess. Jordan Espinoza, Kaikara France, Alex Perez, Raulian Paiva, and Matt Schnell. Like, that's it, dude. And 
it's no secret that they're trying to phase out the flyweight division, but if you're going to do it, just do it. Like, I think what they're really hoping for, they want to give Suhudo this flyweight title, or sorry, this Bantamweight title shot, give him the opportunity to be champ champ, and then make him go back down to flyweight and fight the winner of, I, I think Formiga and Benavidez are fighting on that on, on that card, and they want, um, uh, if that does good numbers, then they'll keep it around. But just just make a decision one way or the other. And obviously, I, I don't want those guys to lose their jobs. Like I, I want everyone to to, um, to to stay fighting in the UFC at flyweight that wants to. And like especially they just signed Kai Car France, exciting as hell, fights out of city kickboxing with Izzy and Volkanovski and those guys. Uh, you know, team don't blink, whatever they call themselves. And he's knocking dudes out of flyweight. So come on, there's so much marketability there. Like this is just baffling to me. And I don't know why they're like dragging this out. Like, even Dana in interviews, sometimes he like tries to be cagey and is like, "Oh well, no, we're never gonna make a decision." But he's like, "Yeah, we tried with that division." He's like said like, you know, we tried. He says that all the time. Like we tried. Clearly, you're not trying enough, or you don't know what to do because it's just hanging out there with a top twelve instead of a top fifteen, and you have not booked the title fight. Like they. They booked it in January, obviously, for TJ, but that was like they were hoping TJ would win. They would just get rid of that division. But that didn't happen, and you didn't kill the division, so what are you doing? Make up your goddamn minds. Now, next up, we got Yo Romero winning his lawsuit for $27.45 million. And I looked, I, I wanted to look this up to get the numbers right because he got like roughly 3000 or sorry 3 million from like damages 3 million emotional damage 3 million uh whatever and it all adds up to 9 million and then in New Jersey which they filed in because the supplement company I think it's called Gold Star uh performance yeah Gold Star performance is based in New Jersey so they had to file here there's a um New Jersey law uh, that states with with that kind of um, consumer settlement cases or something, or consumer fraud, I believe they call it, where it gets triple the amount. So that's why that twenty seven point four five million number came into effect, because really it was supposed to be nine million and it got up to twenty seven. And I wanted to look that up to get that exactly right. And what I found was an interesting article from Forbes, and the headline says, "Why UFC's Yoel Romero may never see a dime of his twenty seven million financial award from his lawsuit." And I was like, "What?" So. I read this article, and it's pretty fucking interesting. So this is written, I was the first person from the guy who wrote it. So it says, I reached out to Carl D. Barry, the managing attorney for the Strategic Legal Group, via phone for some clarity. Barry has an extensive history in sports law and has worked within the combat sports realm for years with Don King Productions, Warrior Boxing Promotions, among others. When I asked Barry what the likelihood was of Romero actually collecting the $27 million in damages, he said, The fact that the organization didn't offer a defense and didn't show up at court is a bad sign. Several scenarios can spring from Wendy's news, and unfortunately for Romero, few of them end with him collecting the damages. While we don't know the exact financial status of Gold Star Performance, it doesn't feel like a stretch to call it unlikely the organization has the assets to make good on the court's judgment. And I never even saw sat to think about it because you got to figure that that uh company has had a bad reputation since this news came out which was back in 2016 you know about three years ago um so it's terrible but i mean my, my initial thoughts when the news broke about the lawsuit was 
oh, he's vindicated. And ultimately, I think that's what it was for him. You know, they they have a statement here from Romero that says, I'm very happy. It's not about the money. I'm very happy now that everything is clean and more clear. You can't live very well when you hear and when you see, when you post something on social media, people reply, soldier of steroids. You can't sleep very well. It's very emotional and important too because I know I've never taken anything in my life. Now, I was one of those people that was like, tainted supplement, get out of here, you know. There's that whole Diaz brother uh, quote. It's like, everyone's on steroids. And you kind of think, whatever. But, dude, if they won in court and they proved it was a tainted supplement, that's all the evidence I need to be like, y'all's clean, guys. But that sucks for him about not getting the money. And, and it totally makes sense. You think about it, like, that company probably doesn't have $27 million lying around. And if they do, that's going to completely fucking bankrupt them. So they're going to they're gonna fight. Like you said, he didn't show up. Um, I missed part of the um, article earlier. Um, it says, A settlement occurs when both parties involved in the legal situation come to an agreement, and the defendant decides to pay the plaintiff to resolve the issue. This is almost impossible when the defendant doesn't show up to court or cooperate with the legal process. So while they had that trial, apparently uh, the representative from the settlement company was not there. So I have a feeling this is, this is going to play out over a long period of time. You know, all those memes of Yoel like just rolling in dough and not fighting and being like, fuck you, give me more money. Those are funny as shit. I'm here for all of them. But obviously, I think he's going to fight again. I mean, <laughs> he's uh, he's a competitor, first of all. And um, second of all, according to Forbes, which is a pretty reputable outlet, um, hate to say it, I don't know if he's getting that money right away. I mean, all these things take time anyway, even if it was, you know, going to be awarded in full. But based on what I'm reading from this, it looks like it's not looking likely uh, for Yoel. And you know what else isn't looking likely? Logan Paul actually fighting. And this is something I never want to talk about on the podcast again. But this is the last thing I'm going to talk about because this motherfucker Logan Paul is trying to make headlines again. And dude, if you're going to talk about Logan Paul, even if it's to bash him, just stop because that's exactly what he wants. He wants to be fucking making headlines. That's all he's trying to do, dude. He even got in this fucking slap contest. And, you know, apparently he, he KO'd someone in training who was apparently his coach. And there's, oh, I don't want to hurt people. But then he's like, oh, I'm going to be a fighter. Like, he's a complete moron. And if you don't know the awful things he did, he fucking made a video blog in the suicide force in Japan. And they filmed this this guy who had just hung himself and we're like making a joke about it. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. He's a complete trash human and he's going to need to do a lot to, to even be remotely vindicated in my eyes. So get him the hell out of any MMA headlines, please. I don't give a fuck about this guy. And you know who else I don't give a fuck about? Andrea Lee's husband. Fucking Donnie Aaron. This guy, if you guys will remember, about a year ago, um, some headlines surfaced where, where some, some photos came out. They were like, uh, had a day on the lake or something, and he had some visible Nazi tattoos. And everyone was giving him shit, and Andrea was like, come on, guys, you know, he's he's not like that anymore. These are from prison. We live with a black guy and an Asian girl. Like, first of all, if you have to say that, <laughs> just just don't say that. Like, That's like that guy being like, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. I mean, just stop. You know what I mean? If you if you need to put that out as evidence, then then obviously you know you're in a bad way. But what later came out was that 
he turns out he's a piece of shit like we thought he was. I guess he has past convictions of, I don't know if he was killing a police officer uh, that was uh, African-American or if it was just brutalizing them. Either way, he did serve some jail time. And I guess he's back at it again. He was her like head MMA coach for, for Andrea KGB Lee. And um, he got arrested or charged. Well, not charged. This is all kind of fugazi. Let me, let me back up. About nine months ago, the news broke that um, she called the cops on him. And um, mostly her roommate, Andy Wynn, called because he was like on top of her choking her and trying to put out cigarettes um, on her and um, trying to make her look bad. I mean, it was it was one of the like worst um, and more, more detailed like domestic violence reports I've heard, uh, you know, in the MMA sphere anyway. And it just was like all bad. But apparently he took off running and I kind of forgot about it. I guess I assumed that would that they captured him and we never found out about it. But this isn't like, I think they live in Louisiana. They found him in Texas. And um, I guess he was like, he went through a stop sign or something, like some minor thing where they pulled him over, found those convictions. They're like, oh, we're bringing you in right away. And he's now booked and arrested in uh, Louisiana. And I think he may have made bail. I was reading the reports. I think he said that he had like a $1,700 bail too little in my opinion i mean that guy needs to be put the hell away he's dangerous and uh he's a trash human so that's it for these fucking nasty headlines let's get into some fun fight announcements shall we well this this first one's not really a fight announcement but it's um i guess uh chael sonnen uh signed uh or got the deal done to have rumble johnson take on craig jones at submission underground for july 7th now if you guys don't know, Chael Sonnen does this little grappling promotion of his called Submission Underground, where I guess they do EBI rules, sub only, but with certain time frames. And then if you don't win in the regular round, there's like overtime and it's whoever escapes the fastest. It's kind of weird. Some uh, straight grappling guys don't like it because, you know, people are gifted a dominant position without having to earn it. And then you're just going off escape. And it's kind of weird because, you know, you can choose to get out of an arm bar or choose to get out of a rear naked choke. There's a lot of like little things, but I honestly don't see that happening with this match. It's really intriguing though, because Rumble Johnson is about 300 plus pounds. The dude is yoked and Craig Jones, if you don't know him, he's, uh, like a, he's lighting the world on fire in the, in the grappling world in the jiu-jitsu scene. He's been like heel hooking fucking everybody. He, he caught Chael in a heel hook at, um, ADCC. I think he even maybe tapped jail Jake Shields with it. A lot of high-level grapplers, he's been uh, just just straight submitting, and and the guy's uh, insane in, in terms of his skill set. He's uh, I think from Australia, so shouts to that part of the world. And it's just it's just going to be like and like Rumble Johnson, we're, we know him as a, like a power puncher and just a straight knockout artist. But he was a wrestler in high school and um, even took DC down a couple times or at least once in their rematch. So he has like grappling, I won't say credentials, but tools and he can definitely use his size. So that makes it intriguing. Like it's one of those like David and Goliath kind of matches like will the early days of of the UFC with like Hoist Gracie tapping those big guys. Like is that what's going to happen or is it going to be the size really 
um, playing a factor and maybe Rumble wins on points or something. Like it's kind of interesting, you know what I mean? So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to watch that. I think he has a deal with Fight Pass. So that's cool. You can watch that. And if not, I think they're streaming on YouTube. There's like plenty of ways to watch it. Moving on, we got Uriah Faber versus Ricky Simone at UFC Sacramento. And I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, originally, it just broke that Uriah had said in an interview with Dan Hardy, he like accepted a fight. And of course, he uh, he came out a few weeks prior on Ariel Hawani's show and being like, well, I'm not really retired, which I kind of hate. Like a lot of guys do that. Matt Brown did this, which really annoyed me. Like before his fight with Diego Sanchez, he was like, this is going to be my last fight. This is my retirement fight. Even when he beat Diego, he folded him like a lawn chair and he had a great uh, post-fight interview with his kids in the octagon it was a touching moment he's like thank you guys for all the memories etc etc and then like a few months later like probably five or six months later i think he accepted a fight with like carlos condit or something and he was and he came on aerial show and he's like well i never really said retired i'm like yeah you did dude we all heard it well he can go back and play the audio like i think people just they try and word it a certain way so that it can kind of leave the door open we're like oh i need to take some time off or whatever but it's like you said you were retired and you can come back, that's fine, but don't say I didn't say I was retired. You said you were retired. I mean, Tito did the same fucking thing. You're retired. Just stop. And Uriah, it's like when he left, he wasn't like getting the break speed off of him. Like, he lost to Dominic, and then he lost to Jimmy Rivera, and um, there was another one in there. He had like three straight losses, and then he finally was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to have a you know, farewell fight. The UFC's open up a new arena or Sacramento is opening a new arena and I want to headline that show and uh or not headline but he we wanted to be part of that show he was on the main card he fought Brad Pickett dominant performance and then said you know I'm done he even was asked in that interview with Ariel I think before and after like is this for sure he's like no this is for sure you know I need to focus on coaching now in different parts of my career and then when he came back he was like well I'm healthy no reason not to uh, I just want to take some time off to be a dad and, and good for him. That baby looks beautiful. Um, happy for, for dad Faber, but, uh, Ricky Simone is no joke. He's a uh, young, hungry up and cover. He trains at the Gracie Baja in Portland with Chael and, uh, like Paige Van Zandt, Austin Vanderford, that crew, Brent Primus, I think trains out of there. Chael had said like pound for pound, Ricky's one of the best in the gym. He's a 135er, obviously. And, Ricky, I'm still, I think the jury's still out a little bit. Um, he had a great fight with Marab Devalishvili, which I saw live in Lenox City. It was amazing. It was really high pace, but Marab was winning that fight like the whole way pretty much. And then last 20 seconds, he shoots in for a takedown. Ricky grabs a guillotine. Um, and in slow-mo, they played it. When uh, Marab got the takedown, he spiked his own head on the canvas went out for a second that gave ricky the opportunity to reverse it and then once he was there he was fighting the choke and kicking uh, but they decided at the very end he like went limp kind of and then the bell rang and the ref decided you're not saved by the bell i'm, I'm calling this uh well, i mean it was because the new jersey commission they had special special rules where it has to be called like a tko by submission or something like that like it's not a it's not a win by submission. It's, it's a TKO due to submission or something like that because it's a, it's like a technical stoppage since he didn't tap. I, I don't know. It's all, it's all weird. But anyways, I, I kind of was like not sure what to think about Ricky. And then he had an amazing fight with Hani Yaya recently. And Hani Yaya is a, 
a legitimate black belt in jiu-jitsu, and Ricky escapes some submissions and had got off some good ground and pound in there, passed his guard a couple times. So I kind of was like, okay, you know, he's 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 uh, he's putting things together. So I actually like Ricky's chances in this fight. Um, Uriah has been training and in the gym and doing some grappling competitions, but he hasn't been fighting, and I think that experience is going to um, play well into him. So I don't know if I like this matchup for Uriah. Um, if he wanted to come back and get an easy win, get a nice paycheck, I don't know if that's the fight. But then again, I don't know what is the fight, so, you know, it is what it is. But we found that our headliner for that card is going to be Aspen Lad versus Jermaine Durandamy. And I like this fight. I'm not so sold on it as a headliner, but I'm not up in arms about it like everyone on Twitter was. They're like, oh, this is a weak-ass headliner. And yeah, it kind of is, but what did you expect? It's a fight night card, and their pay-per-view sales have been terrible, so they got to load up like they, like they threw Cowboy and Tony last minute on this uh, next week's pay-per-view to load up those sales, and they're trying to get more fights on 240. So there's there's just a lot that plays into the matchmaking, and I think that's fine for a fight night main event. I mean, cool that we get five rounds. Um, Jermaine Duranemi has solid takedown defense, and um, Aspen's wrestling is kind of her biggest asset. So it's it's a really intriguing matchup. Obviously, they're grooming Aspen for a title shot, so I don't know if that's the fight, but, you know, we'll see. And it's, it's going to be really fun. I mean, the Iron Lady, we all kind of have a bad taste in our mouth from her because she fought with Holly. And the backstory to this, which is so dumb, is that they both agreed to fight Cyborg separately. Like, the UFC came when, when, they, when they had that inaugural women's featherweight title fight, UFC 208 in Brooklyn, if you'll remember, um, Holly Holm and Jermaine Duranemi were both separately offered a fight against Chris Cyborg for the belt, and they both accepted, but Chris needed more time. She didn't have time for the weight cut. She was going through some other injuries or whatever. They had just made her fucking cut to 140, which her body, like, ballooned. It was terrible. She was working with George Lockhart. Goes back to my last week's uh, episode about uh, Mike Dolce and that whole beef, but... Uh, so she wasn't ready, and then Jermaine wins, controversially, I think Holly won that fight, I think she won rounds three, four, and five, um, she almost dropped her with that question mark kick at the end, and Jermaine's most damaging blows were the ones after the bell, because referee Todd Anderson didn't know how to fucking step in, and yes, it's not really her fault, like, the ref is what stops the fight and not Jermaine, but she kind of didn't give a fuck, and you're supposed to at least give a fuck. And so that was a terrible fight, in my opinion. So we all kind of have a, a weird taste in our mouth. She wins the belt, and then they ask her about Chris Cyborg, and she's like, uh, yeah, I got to get hand surgery. <laughs> so it was all like one of the weirdest title runs, or not really a run, but you know, in, in UFC history because of that. And so we kind of forget that she's a former champion, technically. And uh, now she's trying to make her way back at Bantamweight. So we'll see. Speaking of women's featherweight, Felicia Spencer versus Chris Cyborg was added to UFC 240 in Edmonton, and that's a fun fight. We talked about this last episode. That's really the only fight to make because both of them are true featherweights and want to stay in that division, and they're not like interested in going to 135 and going back and forth. So it's really the only options for them, you know, opponent-wise. And uh, I don't know if Felicia's ready. Like I said, ideally in any other division you're going to want to build them up slowly like they should have fucking made macy chasson come back to 145 to fight felicia spencer that would have been fun 
Um, but I do, I, I do think she has some tools to give, to, to give Chris some problems. Um, people think Chris got exposed by Amanda. I'm not ready to say that. I think Chris is still one of the best female fighters of all time. And that Amanda is just that damn good. And they both kind of engage in that firefight. So I think Felicia Jiu-Jitsu can really, can really pose a threat to Chris. And that's going to be an interesting fight. Uh, another fun fight. Um, I forgot to write down his opponent, but I know it is Olivier Aubin Mercier versus um, Armand Sarukian. This was the gentleman that fought Islam Makhachev at uh, UFC St. Petersburg. And that was a fun debut for him. And I didn't think of who I wanted him to face, but I saw he had great, um, you know, great wrestling, great heart, and it was a it was a good fight. But uh, if you had said Olivier at that time, I would have been like, yeah, sign me up for that. I'll see that. And I love Olivier Aubin-Mercier. Um, his whole Canadian gangster persona is funny as shit. If you haven't seen this, you should go back and and look at one of his uh, <laughs> interviews. I think it was like MMA Junkie. And he was like, I just realized that uh, my potential is unlimited. I was uh, walking down the street and there was a guy who shouted across from me, kind of a weird guy, and he said, oh, you look like a porn star. And uh, I didn't really think about that, but what I took from that was, my potential is unlimited. I can do whatever I want. And his mind is just so fucking weird to me. And I love the whole gimmick. I love that he brings those two dudes with him that are just in like black turtlenecks and shades, acting like bodyguards. It's so funny. And uh, I'm, I'm down to see Olivier Aubin-Mercier against anybody. And that um, Sarukian fight is a hell of a fight, in my opinion. So that wraps up current events. Um, we got a lot to cover still. Um, so I want to get into your, your guys' questions. You guys fucking showed up. Um, and every method of question I submitting I have really is you know, Instagram, Twitter, and the fucking voice messages. Everyone showed up. This is amazing, and I can't wait. Let's get right into it. All right, let's get right into it and uh, start off with these voice questions. As always, if you want to leave a voice question that I can play on the show, um, go to anchor.fm slash fightingwithmyself slash message, or you can go on the Anchor app and find my show, and um, the the button is right there. Um, this is one of my favorite things to do. I love hearing your guys' voices and um, having you be part of my show. So it's fucking awesome. Chris Genghis Black, as always, coming in hot, and let's uh, let's hear that question. This is Chris Genghis Black. Wondering what you think is next, Smith. What do you think about Corey Anderson? As always, love that guy's voice. Uh, guy's voice, Asbury's finest. And if he, if this were any other division that didn't have Luke Rockhold coming into it, I'd be like, sure, let's have the Corey Anderson fight. That sounds great. Uh, there was a little bit of back and forth between them because when Anthony got the title shot, Corey thought he deserved it. He, he was putting together wins over like mo- more ranked. They were ranked higher, I guess. Corey doesn't feel like he's getting the respect he deserves. But Anthony was finishing those guys, um, the guys that he was fighting, and Corey was just decisioning the other ones. And Corey was like, well, these are more high-caliber opponent. I was dominating them, et cetera, et cetera. There was a whole back and forth, and I thought that would be fun. However, if you don't know the beef between Anthony Smith and Luke Rockhold, you're missing out. And 
It doesn't matter if Luke loses his debut against Jan or if he finishes him in, in you know, dominant fashion. I want to see Anthony Smith punch Luke Rockhold in the face. I mean, come on. Anthony Smith gets the title shot and Luke Rockhold goes out in all these interviews saying, oh, he doesn't deserve it. He's just a washed out middleweight. Uh, he wouldn't have ever got a chance to fight anyone like that at middleweight. Yada, yada, yada. Him and Tiago Santos. I mean, Luke Rockhold just coming in with his entitled ass just t- talking shit on the entire division. And I'm like, dude, you haven't even fought in, in light heavyweight yet. And you got KO'd in two out of your last three fights. So sit the fuck down. You're fighting Yon, and let's see how you do against Yon. And then we got fucking Anthony in the uh, in that little um, summer uh, season press conference that they did a couple months ago in Atlanta uh, when they asked him about Luke Rockhold. And he's like, I'm punching him in the face next time I see him. doesn't matter. I'm punching a hole straight through his fucking chest. I mean, if, if you don't get chills hearing that clip, you're dead inside. I, I don't know what to say. Find it if you haven't seen it. Like, there's no part of me that doesn't want to see that fight. I don't care if Anthony had lost to Gus um, and Luke wins his next fight or vice versa or whatever. You need to make that fight because... Luke Rockhold, even if he gets passed on, does not deserve the title shot right away. Let's be very clear about that. He needs to get, and that's why it's a great fight because if Anthony beats Luke, it's another, you know, it's a former champion, a big name, great, uh, you know, name to add to his resume and one step closer to getting the rematch with John or at least another, you know, maybe if they do an interim belt at some point, maybe he could get it that way. Like, that just opens up doors for him. But if Luke wins... I mean, that's a former title challenger. He's looked good as of late. There's a lot of positives for both guys, even though I fucking hate Luke Rockhold and don't want to give him anything positive. That's a good fight for both those guys. So that's what I think, Chris. Um, I I like your suggestion about Corey, but eh, we got to see this Luke Rockhold fight first. And um, there's some other fun fights for Corey, too. Um, This is a great question coming up from my man, Smokey J. Let's hear it. Hey, Fighting With Myself podcast, it's Smokey J here from Australia. I have a question for you, and it's one that I asked you the other day, and you said you'd save it for your podcast, but like, just in case you've forgotten about it or something like that, I thought I'd ask it again now. And you said that there was an interesting story behind it, so I'm kind of interested to find out why. But out of all the fighters in the world, man, why is your picture of Manny Pacquiao? Like, why are you Manny? Anyways, man, that is all. Bye. I uh, fucking love this guy. If you don't follow him on Twitter, fix that right away. He's been doing this uh, bad drawing series where he's drawing a bunch of fighters. I don't think they're bad drawings at all. Um, you can't obviously like sell them to anyone who's like looking for art, but they're fucking good-ass drawings. And <laughs> I was hoping he would bring this up. I actually wrote it down to talk about it on the podcast um, if, he, if he didn't submit it as a question. Uh, but he asked me on Twitter the other day, why is my logo for the podcast, Manny, and (laughs) I forget what fight it was, it's like Manny versus someone else, Um, and when I was going, (laughs) this is so stupid, when I was going to make this logo, I don't have a lot of editing skills, okay, Um, so I obviously had to do everything like on my phone with an app, 
I found, and I was just going to make it super low budget, but that's kind of the whole like charm of this podcast anyway. And um, I, <laughs> I was looking for someone with my complexion, and I wasn't finding anything that didn't have like the UFC logo in the background from those stare downs. And there was really not a lot of options. And I was scouring for like a few days. I was looking on like Google search, trying to find a good fight poster that I could put my face on. And I, <laughs> this is so dumb. I found one of MVP and Paul Daly, which had great graphics. And I had been looking for so long that I forgot I was supposed to look for white people. And I actually like started to work on this one. And I was like, oh my God, they're two of the darkest people in MMA. How did I fucking miss that? I'm white as shit. And it, <laughs> it was just the worst like time for me to find. <laughs> I had the worst time finding a, a fight. And then I found this poster of Manny Pacquiao um, and one of his fights. They're both brown, but it's kind of a light brown. And I figured, fuck it. If I can get the, writing, the lighting right, I can put my face on. Hopefully no one will say anything. <laughs> And no one did say anything until now. Why are you many? Why? I mean, that's so funny. Uh, but you're right. Uh, that's really, it really came down to, um, I mean, Manny Pacquiao is a hell of a fighter, so it's not like it's some bum or anything, but it's definitely not something you expect. I'm also not a boxing fan at all. Um, just a heads up for anyone that ever wants to submit a boxing question, not going to answer it. I mean, not that I won't read it or whatever, but I won't have any credible answers because not a fan of boxing. But, uh, yeah, it was really just about availability for as far as like not having a logo because I don't know how to Photoshop that shit out. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, someone will do that. I think I got got a little something in the works from uh, someone. I'm excited to see about that. But um, maybe it'll be the same bodies. Who knows? And in, uh, those are, that's it for voice questions. Love those. Keep those coming, please. Um, moving on to some questions I got on Instagram. This is, uh, you know, if you're on Instagram, hit me up. It's the same handle, FWM underscore pod. Um, first question comes from Ricky of MMA Marks. His handle is Ricky underscore R underscore of underscore MMA Marks. It's too many underscores. Change it. But he says, what do you think about the improvements of Frank Camacho? And I said we would get to this, and I love it. This is a great question. You guys came with some really, really good questions this week, and I thank you for it. Frank Camacho is awesome. He had um, a fight of the night performance against Damian Brown, and it really sucked for Damian Brown because, um, uh, like Frank Camacho missed weight, and so, and, but he won the fight, and because of that they were ineligible for the fight of the night bonus, and he was like, "Please give it to Damian Brown, please." And I think they even, I think what they did was they gave only fifty thousand to Damian Brown. Um, and, but they didn't give the other 50 to, um, to Frank and Frank, Frank was campaigning. He was like, dude, give it to Damien. He earned it. I thought that was a really cool move. Uh, but to, just to go back on the question, his improvements, he's really putting it together. He, he trained with, um, Timo Yama for this camp. They're out of Irvine. A lot of good fighters train there. Marlon Chito Vera, um, Ian McCall used to train there. Carlos Sparza. Um, the coaches there are really high level, I think. And they, they've made some some good improvements on a lot of fighters games and uh, it just it just goes to show what good coaching can do for a fighter and and it's not like they'll coach anybody I'm, I mean when, when you when you talk about the best coaches in the game I think chemistry plays a big part in it 
and, you know, building a relationship. And so it's just really about whose style meshes with who. And I think he's found a home there. Um, you know, he's, he's an Islander guy. He obviously shouted out in his post-fight interview and, um, that whole Irvine area, uh, is, is great for that. So I think he's just gelling well with those guys. Next question comes from Curiosity Killed Decade, my wife. She says, what was your favorite fart on this card and why? And it's hard to pick because there were some great ones, but in terms of just overall, that uh, main event, uh, Alexander Gustin versus Anthony Smith had everything. I mean, great striking, had some good grappling, obviously a finish with a submission, um, some bloody moments, Alex's leg got cut up. It, it was uh, it was great, and then the whole emotional reaction afterward of him leaving his gloves in the octagon. Obviously, that's not like a favorite moment, but it just it, it had a story to it, and that's what I love about MMA is is the storylines. And so, yeah, I have to pick that one, even though it's like so I don't know cheesy or whatever to just pick the main event. I mean, that really was it. But yeah, that um, Camacho Hind fight was great too. Obviously. Um, Leonardo Santos versus uh, Stevie Ray. And Lena Landsberg versus Tony Andrews was a great fight as well. His fucking elbows were nasty. So a lot a lot to love. But if I had to pick one, it would, be, it would definitely be that fight. And The Fight Addicts is another podcast. Um, the Fight Addicts are on Instagram. Check them out. It's, uh, it's, they say, is Anthony Smith really a top-tier light heavyweight? And dude, if you need any more convincing after this performance... I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, he really is a top-tier light heavyweight. I mean, a win over Gus, that's legit. I don't care what you think about whether or not the best Gus showed up or if he's like not been himself lately. He's still the elite of the elite, um, gave Jones and DC the best fights of their career, the hardest fights of their both their careers, you know, respectively. He had a fucking banger of a fight against Glover, who's another um, top-tier light heavyweight. And... Um, Anthony Smith is the real deal. Bottom line. That's it. And uh, Craig Allen FNP asks, what's next for Rakich and Smith? And obviously we know what I think is next for Smith. It's that Luke Rockhold fight. There is nothing else I want to see more than that Luke Rockhold fight. But as far as what's next for Rakich, just looking at the light heavyweight rankings, um, something interesting I think would be the Volkan Uzdemir fight. Now, G- Alex says he's going to take Jimmy's spot, who was number 11 before they fought. We don't know. So if he wants to fight up and, and Volkan's willing to take the fight, Volkan's number 7, that would be a good fight. Um, but I also want to see that fight with Alir, so I hope they, they run that back. And if he doesn't, someone right below him, if he takes that spot, is Johnny Walker at number 12. And that is a hell of a fight, in my opinion. Both exciting, well-rounded fighters, um, both primarily kickboxers, but um, good in the clinch. Shit, I think I, I think I take Johnny Walker in that fight. So um, it's kind of like if you're asking me what's next for Rakich, and I and I pick someone that I think would beat him, that's kind of fucked up. But uh, you know, Nikita Krylov's a fun fight. He just had a nice one over OSP, Misha Serkinov. There's plenty of matches. Dominic Reyes, who lost to Vulcan. Again, I'm going to say that, lost to Vulcan. Uh, great, great matchups. And uh, yeah. Although 
Dominic Reyes is at number five, and uh, Rakic was open that he said he needs more time for a title shot. So he definitely is not looking to get fast-tracked. And I think, you know, number five, if he takes out the number five guy, who really only above him is Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos, Alex, all are fighting for the belt or have fought for the belt. They still got Daniel Cormier at number one? Come on, he's not a light heavyweight anymore. He's a heavyweight, let's be real. Uh, yeah, weird, weird UFC rankings. But if he takes out uh, number five, that's definitely going to vault him into a title shot, and that's a little, you know, a little quick. So I think they should wait and uh, book him against, like, Johnny Walker once he's healthy. That would be a fun fight. And um, moving to Twitter, one of my favorite uh, places to get questions. You guys are awesome on Twitter. The best followers of any podcast. I'll say that again. <laughs> Jimmy the Drunk asks, what current or past UFC fighter do you think gets the most tail? <laughs> oh, man, I hate to say this, but it's probably Luke Rockhold. Although I could see it being someone like like. Like Johnny Walker's got to be swimming in it since that debut. Um, Andre Arlovsky back in the day got got plenty. Um, even Tito. I mean, he was married to Jenna Jameson, Jenna, Jenna Jameson for a time. So, uh, man, this is a harder question than I thought. There's so many options. Even probably fucking Sugar Sean O'Malley's killing it. I don't know, dude. This is a great question. There's so many options. Or you know you know what else? Who probably gets a lot of tail is um, oh, what's her name? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Huh? Oh, yeah. Tanya Evander probably gets a lot. I mean, she has a girlfriend now, but uh, I bet she kills it too. That's a great question. We'll maybe come back to that if I think of something else. I'm, I'm, I might. Um, Shout that on the next episode. Moving on, Brad Figueroa asks predictions for UFC 238. We're going to get into that. Don't you worry about it. Um, he also asked, what do you see happening in the light heavyweight division in the next six months? And this is a great question, but it's also hard to answer. It requires a lot of like predicting of outcomes of matches that haven't been announced and what would be next for them given the fucking outcomes of that. So it's a little bit hard to answer, but, you know, I, you got to figure John Jones gets past Thiago Santos and um, maybe he wants to fight DC a third time, hopefully at heavyweight, but both of them have said that they don't want it to be at heavyweight, which I think is dumb. <sighs> there's, a, there's a lot that could play out. I hope what plays out also is that Luke beats um, Jan Blachowicz and we get the fight between Luke and Anthony. Don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but... I'm going to be beating this horse until they make that fucking matchup. Crazy, crazy, crazy things could happen. Now, another question he asks. Where do I get to this guy? Fucking has so many questions. He said, what is next for Anthony Smith? The Luke Rockhold fight, dude. Come on. All right, now Sean Cassidy, I think, SCC at S underscore C underscore Cassidy says, does Leonardo Santos go right to the top 10 or 15 discussion after that starching of Stevie Ray? Who's next for him? And this guy has been a little inactive 
So it's hard to say. Like, that's been his biggest problem is is getting active. He's got to get back in there and get more fights. So we kind of have to see. But just looking at the state of things in that um, that top 15, um, Alex Hernandez is coming off a loss. And so he could probably fight down. And uh, he's ranked number 13. That would be a nice entry into the rankings for him. Um, Charles Oliveira probably won't take that fight, although he could. That'd be a, uh, no, because their jiu-jitsu would probably cancel each other out. I don't know. I hate when they put two jiu-jitsu guys against each other and they think it's going to be like a fun grappling match and it probably just nullifies it and it turns into a weird striking match. So who knows? Um, Islam Makachev could be fun too. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good matches for him in that lower, um, you know, 11 through 15 range. James Vick also coming off a loss, but I hate when James Vick fights down because he always complains about it. He's like, no one will fight me, no one will fight me, you know. So hopefully they get him a, a good matchup and he just stays active. I mean, that's his biggest problem, like I said. So, yeah, we'd love to see that. Luke Wright says, what does Anthony Smith's second UFC submission mean to his future opponents now that he's shown power off the back to this high level of competition? And what it means is we could be seeing more of this, but in terms of what's ahead of him, I don't know how much he's going to be able to show that off because I think he's still going to have it as like a, a trump card. You know, I think he's just going to have it in his back pocket. I don't think he's going to lean on his jiu-jitsu. He's definitely more of a striker, more of a brawler. He likes to, you know take it into deep waters and maybe pull out submission at the last second. But he definitely loves the knockout life. He wants to get more of those. And um, he's got power in his hands for sure. And realistically, of the fights that are ahead of him, like, oh, maybe he could, you know, get a fight with Glover. You know, Glover's a jiu-jitsu black belt in his own right, been been killing it. Um, yeah, I don't think he can out-grapple Glover. And um, I don't think he can outgrapple Luke either. I think he can knock the fuck out of Luke, but I don't think he can outgrapple him. And he certainly can outgrapple John Jones. We already saw that uh, from their fight. So, in terms of his ability to use it, I don't know. But depending on who else comes to the division, like if 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 they do make the fight with Corey Anderson at some point, I think that could definitely play into that. You know, Corey could go for a takedown. Could see him reversing and and taking the back. Um, he he said in his post interview like he, he that's what his whole game is built off of really is taking the back. You're going to get getting that rear naked choke. Pete Bagels asks, think Gus is going to be back? And I, uh, I talked about this a little bit already, and I think not. And if I think we have to kind of wait, and I'd like to, like, I don't know, do a little bit of a tribute to him later on, you know, talk about that maybe in a current event segment later on, because Alex has given us some great fights. He's had an amazing career, and I don't want to, like, just talk about it right as soon as he's coming off this loss and especially we don't we don't know if this is actually true i mean not it's obviously true that he said i'm done you know dropped his gloves in the octagon but uh we don't know if it was maybe like a rash decision he did i saw um, on the ufc's instagram there's playing some clips from from backstage and they caught him saying thanks for the memories guys uh, i'm gonna hang it up or something like that it was definitely like he doubled down on it a little bit and i was like oh damn maybe this is it but you never know. I mean, I think it was just emotions were running high, you know, fighting in front of his hometown crowd. And I hope that he goes with his team, reevaluates it. I mean, he just became a dad, so maybe he's thinking about that as well. There's a lot going on in his head, so I want to give him some space for now and not talk about it. He also said, 
Pete Bagels did, that, that is. He said, rank the kick, brother, which is pretty open, but I'm 99% certain he's talking about that fucking Jimmy Manawa KO by uh, Alexander Rakich. And uh, shout out to Metal Bender, um, the imposter. He said, nine out of 10 Crow Cops. And that is the only answer of these questions that was from someone else that I'm going to read because that was fucking hilarious. And that is, I'm going to say that is my answer. That is the highest rating of Crow Cops you could give to anyone not named Crow Cop. Because obviously if it's 10 out of 10 Crow Cops, he's actually Crow Cop. But dude, that was a fucking amazing kick. Um, great combo. He like stepped in. You don't see a lot of KOs that come like in motion like that because it's hard to get your footing and plant. But I mean, obviously Jimmy's a little chinny. But that was amazing, dude. Uh, I lost my shit when I watched the replay. Obviously, I didn't watch it. I told you. Um, JB, who's uh, JB underscore Erm, E-R-M-M-M, says, Did Smith's performance give you any faith that he can beat Jones or at least give him more problems? Yes and no. I still think it's hard. But I think if anyone's going to beat John Jones, it's going to be someone like a specialist. And I don't know if Anthony is that specialist. I mean, John's taken out tons of specialists before, like Little Machida is more of like a karate specialist. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really hard to say. It definitely, he gave a better performance than he did against John Jones. I don't feel like Anthony 100% showed up for that fight. So I think he does stand a chance if they do, if he does get a rematch later on in the line. But, you know, he even said himself he's improving. I think he needs maybe a couple more fights to get that, that rematch. And then I think we could see. So I don't know if this performance specifically gave me faith, but just him getting back in there and getting a nice win, it's it's a good sign of hope that he can at least get another crack. Um, Smokey J MMA says, Do you think that maybe the wrong guy retired tonight? And originally, I don't know what, I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought he was maybe saying, do I think Anthony should have retired instead of Gus? Because you always think about the opponent when you see the wrong guy. I was like, what do you mean? Then I realized, oh, he's probably talking about Jimmy. And yeah, I do think Jimmy should retire. Obviously, we don't know where Jimmy's at. He wasn't given the opportunity. He wasn't given a mic. He got knocked the hell out. And um, unless it's the main event, they don't... um, interview the loser and lately they haven't been interviewing losers that get knocked out because of you know people saying the wrong thing you know head trauma and all that so it's just not it, i think it's just too early early to say so maybe jimmy i mean you definitely don't want to tell a guy you should hang it up but jimmy's been getting brutally knocked out i think if if they don't start giving him some like different matchups he he should hang it up and they're giving they're giving him these like young killers who are like known for strike striking and they're just piecing Jimmy up and it's sad and it's hard to watch. Uh, I like Jimmy a lot. I love his personality. He sounds like a fucking character from that Guy Ritchie movie Snatch. So sucks for him. I mean, if if he gets cut, like I definitely think the UFC should should try and convince him to retire. Maybe give him a nice um, retirement fight in a in a card in London somewhere. Maybe he can headline that and get a nice win and go out on a win. But if they cut him, he'll just get picked up by Bellator or One or Ryzen, and he'll be fed to the Lions. I mean, who knows? Bellator, you know, Scott Coker's a little nicer on those matchups, but um, their 205 division's full of some killers as well. You got Ryan Bader at the top. You got fucking Phil Davis, Liam McGeary. 
I mean, those guys are killers. So who knows? Maybe the wrong guy did retire, but maybe we haven't seen. It's hard to answer. <laughs> Cashflow TM says Anthony Smith versus Luke Rockhold next. And yeah, even though I already answered it a bunch of times, I'm going to answer that because hell yeah, that's absolutely, unequivocally, unabashedly the fight to make. <laughs> there, There is nothing else, dude. If they don't make that fight, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a fucking strongly worded letter to the UFC matchmakers. Come on. Or if we find out that one of them turned out in the fight, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to them. We got to make this fight. Uh, Elliot says, his handle is um, E-L-L-Z-Z-Z-G, says, I see a trend with high-profile hometown fighters not always winning. Do you think sometimes the occasion can get to a fighter or in Alexander's case, win or lose? He knew he was going to retire and maybe that was what was on his mind. And it's, this is a really good question, but it's hard to answer. And that's because you don't know. Like, if he didn't announce his retirement, I would say, yeah, probably it got to him. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, knowing that was on his mind or, or was likely on his mind, you, you kind of think that could have played into it as well. I mean, he's been like up and down. He got knocked out by Rumble in an in, in arena in, in Sweden, and then he had a great performance against Glover. So, you know, he can do things, great things at a hometown crowd. And it seemed like the crowd was definitely cheering for him and uh, he was feeding off of that. So, you know, maybe didn't play a factor. But I also like, I think I said this earlier, the the announcers were like, oh, he's looking loose here. He's looking comfortable. And I was like, no, he's not. He looks tentative. And uh, I didn't like what I was seeing. So I thought it was getting to him. But maybe maybe it just was just a retirement thing. I don't know. Um, I'd love to, to kind of see some statistics of like over the last year of like how many fighters are losing in their hometowns. I don't. I don't know if it's a lot of them, actually. I was trying to think about it, and, um, you know, there's there's been some nice hometown wins recently that I can think of, so who knows. Uh, and this gentleman, Mason Araujo, Araujo, fucking terrible pronunciation there by me. Sorry about it. He says, do you think people will put some respect on Smith's name after this? And God damn it, I hope so. I really do. I mean, he deserves it. Maybe if if he if he didn't if he lost to Gus, people people could you know write him off. But after that, there's no doubt in my mind that he deserved that shot against John Jones. Like I thought that anyway, but there's no doubt in my mind he's a player at 205, and I th- I thought he was a top contender at middleweight as well. He just didn't get the right matchup. I mean that that division is so deep that he was having a tough uh tough run at the title. The, the ladder was just too long, but uh, 205 is a little more shallow. He was able to get some nice wins over some legends. And it vaulted him up. But that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. The guy's legit. He's a killer. Uh, he's got power in both hands. And he's a, as he puts it, a legitimate black belt. He's, he's gotten some nice submissions. Gus is hard to submit. So, yeah. I guess that wraps up these listener questions. Thanks again, everybody. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for all these questions, especially the voice ones. I love doing that. If everyone can just do that, I mean, we could have a fucking killer show right um but thank you thank you very much and um let me put my uh analyst head on and then predict some of these fights next week
All right, UFC 238 taking place next Saturday, June 8th in Chicago. We got a hell of a main card, and I'm fucking excited. Especially because the main card is probably all I'll get to see. Given that I, uh, I'm in a play next weekend. little little play. So I'm um, not going to get too much into that, but um, here we are. First up, we got Tai Tuivasa taking on Blagoy Ivanov. Both, I mean, the heavyweights, it's pretty pretty clear what they want to do. They're looking for the knockout. Blagoy's got a little more tools as far as, like, grappling and stuff. But um, I think it's nothing that Tai can't handle. And Tai is a fucking insanely powerful guy in terms of his knockout ability. And so I'm picking Tai. Uh, I love his fucking... The whole shoey thing, I'm into it. Uh, I think he's a wild man. And uh, him and Tyson Pedro have this uh, really funny podcast called the Hofcast Podcast. So funny. So uh, entertaining. I also made these fun YouTube videos and stuff with like, I don't know, him and them and like Jake Matthews. They were pretending to be like, I don't know. It was it was, it was funny as shit. I, I can't remember exactly what went down. They were like doing like, uh, um, post, you know, post-coital moments. It was funny as hell. Anyway, I'm picking Ty. Um, I think he just doesn't give a fuck. Um, I also think Blagoy didn't beat Ben Rothwell, so chew on that. Um, I also feel like I haven't seen enough of Blagoy, and I just think, like, Ty's experience in the UFC will give him a little bit more tools here. I mean, Blagoy's no slouch. I mean, he was uh, on quite a tear... In uh, in the regional scene, I think he was in World Series of Fighting, but um, I think I think Ty can give him some problems. Uh, not really problems, but I think Ty. It only takes one, <laughs> obviously from either of them. But I think Ty's got a hell of a chin. And um, yeah, I'm taking Ty. Not going back on it. Now, next up is Piotr Jan versus Jimmy Rivera. Now, you might say Peter, and that's fine. But I think it's fun to say Pyotr. That's how the Russians say. He's Russian. It's like Fyodor versus Fedor. I'm into it. Uh, and I'm taking I'm taking Pyotr. I might uh, lose some credibility for this from anyone local because Jimmy Rivera is a Jersey guy. But got to go with uh, with my um, brain on this one and pick pick Pyotr. He's just he just he looks like a killer. I mean, there's nothing that I, I didn't see from from Piotr's fights that, that I think, or from watching Jimmy's fights, that I don't think Piotr can't handle. And I think looking at, you know, Jimmy's fight with Marlon, you know, Marlon landed that switch kick just like butter. And I think Peter has a lot of those tools as well. If, he's, if Jimmy's like going in for a takedown or something. And uh, Jimmy's fight against John Dodson was a little lackluster. Um, you know, similarly against... Um, Aljo as well, Aljamain Sterling. So I think Peter's finding him at the right time, and I think he can really capitalize on that and make get a nice win. He's currently ranked number nine, Jimmy's number seven, and I think that'll be a nice step up for, in the rankings for him. Would love to see that fight, and I can't wait for it. So I'm picking Pewter. Now next up is Tony Ferguson versus Cowboy Cerrone, and I've gone back and forth on this a lot. I mean. Dad Cerrone's no joke. 
And I mean, even before that, he was no joke. I mean, they're both really high level fighters, but it just seems like, like Cowboy's taking things more seriously now, which is a big asset to his game. Uh, but there's a couple factors in this that are making me lean toward Tony Ferguson. And that's what I'm going to go with, but here's why. So Tony is, I won't say a long layoff. It's definitely under a year. He last fought Anthony Pettis back in October 2018, I believe. So um, what was that, eight months ago? And since then, he's been dealing with some like personal issues with his mental health. Um, his wife had filed a restraining order, but I guess they just let it let it elapse. He was, you know, going through the right processes to, um, to 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 make his life right. He was going to therapy and things like that. And I think he's really in a good place. He changed management. Um, he signed with the Balanji Group. I talked about that a few episodes ago, and it just seems like he's he's finally like at peace with the fact that he's going to have to fight another fight before he gets his well earned title shot against Khabib, and um, Cerrone. Typically, like historically, he'll go on these nice runs, and then when he he'll take a fight on short notice at the end of that, and something bad happens, like what happened against Masvidal. He had a war with Matt Brown at 206 in Toronto, and then like a month later, he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna fight in Denver. Fuck it," and he takes a fight against Masvidal. I mean, that was that was a mistake. Obviously, hindsight's 2020, but Masvidal knocked him out twice. It was it was bad. And so for that, I also think having to make that weight cut back to back is going to be hard. And um, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm leaning Tony. It's really really hard for me to pick against Tony. Even if he fights Khabib, I'll probably pick Tony. I mean the the guy's just a killer, and um, I think he's like probably number one lightweight in the world. How in the fuck is he ranked number twelve? I mean this is a travesty. The guy's on like a about to be on a twelve five win streak. You don't get a fucking Number 12 ranked from a 12 fight win streak. Come on. So picking Tony. Oh, maybe it's just a fucking typo because they've got Valentina Shevchenko as number 14 and she's the champion. That's dumb, dude. UFC's website. Get your shit together. But um, next up in the docket is Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I. And this is, in my opinion, it's a really interesting fight. Jessica I has a good at flyweight since dropping down. I think... She was one of those girls that like really wanted a shot in the UFC and she fought at flyweight before the UFC and they didn't have it. So she was willing to fight at Bantamweight and she did well, She but she wasn't like ever in really in line for a title. She wasn't like sitting the world on fire, but I think she got some bad luck. I thought she beat Betch Cohea. I thought that was terrible judging as well. And um, she's looked good at flyweight. The UFC, I think they were close to cutting her and I'm so glad they didn't because she, she made on her nice run for herself at at 125 and while i don't think it's a foregone conclusion that valentine's gonna win like a lot of people are just like oh she's gonna walk right through her and i think a lot of those people are not giving jessica the respect she deserves from being in the game as long as she has and having like like the wrestling credentials to maybe take the fight where she wants to go but valentine is just so damn good everywhere um, like she's not just a striker, even though she's primarily from a Muay Thai background, her jujitsu is legit. And so for that reason, I'm still going to pick Valentina, but I just wanted to go on the record saying it's not going to be as easy as everyone thinks. Like if you ask me to predict what round, I don't know. It might even go the full five. Like that's how 
like close of a matchup I think it could be. Like, I think Jessica can surprise a lot of people here. And um, like I'm not going to be that person that picks her just to be like, oh, I told you so. Like in my heart of hearts, like I believe that Valentina is probably going to win, but I think it's going to be an amazing fight. And uh, oh, this card is just so fucking good. Which leads me to the main event. Henry Cringe Cejudo versus Marlon Magic Moraes. Now, is Marlon a killer? Yes. Is Henry talented? Yes. Does that matter? No. Here's why. I'm picking Marlon. And obviously, most of us, I would hope, want to see Henry lose. He's cringe as hell. Um, the whole savior of the flyweights thing and then begging for these Bantamweight title shots is really weird. Um, also don't like his uh, relationship with Ali, but that's a problem with both fighters, so we're not even going to get into that. But he can go away as far as I'm concerned with the whole cringe stuff and and, and posting like oh, the cringe judo challenge and dancing with the fucking belt and putting his gold medal on. Like If I see one more picture of him with his goddamn gold medal, I'm going to block him. And just going back to that, regardless of that, he does have legit skills. He's a gold medalist in wrestling. He's an Olympian. He beat Demetrius Johnson barely. I mean, you could make a strong case that DJ won that fight, but on the record, he beat him to to win the belt. And he starched TJ Dillashaw. So he's legit. But I honestly think the... Size difference is going to play a big factor here. I think he's going to have a hard time taking Marlon down, and Marlon has the reach on him. He's got powerful ass kicks, and I think it's going to be a short night for Henry Cejudo. I think if he tries to go in for a takedown, he's going to run into those knees, baby. He's going to run into those knees. And Marlon, in his last fight against the Sal, getting that guillotine, it showed me that he's really working on all the aspects of his game. Like I don't, I don't think Henry can really give him any problems. That he hasn't seen. He trains the fucking Frankie Edgar. I mean, one of the best wrestlers in that uh, in the 155 pound division and 145, going back to you know his his heyday. So, yeah, I really I really don't think. I mean, if Henry Sudo wins, I wouldn't be too surprised. But all those things combined, you know, I got to pick Marlon. He just looks so good lately, and I want to say this also. Many people forget Henry Cejudo, when he first made his UFC debut, um, he was booked for a fight at flyweight, and he missed weight. It's bad enough that he didn't make it to the scale, and they almost cut him, and he, he almost wanted to walk away himself. He almost was like, I don't deserve this. Like He was down on himself for missing weight, but his coach, um, Captain Eric El-Bahassin, um, convinced him to stay whatever but they made him fight a bantamweight for his first fight and he did win that but obviously he wanted to go back to flyweight so that makes me think he's not as confident that he can really make waves in the bantamweight division i think if he if he wins that bantamweight title he's going to try and go back to flyweight and just be like oh i can still save the division guys like no so i'm picking marlin i think he's deserved his fucking shot i I think he deserved it even before um he fought a sun sal um so there was a lot to um, a lot of factors that played into that. Like I thought he should have been fighting TJ instead of Henry Cejudo, but also Sun Sao kind of made a case. So it was kind of good that they fought. So you know this this fight is just it's just so good. 
I, I really want to see him knock out Henry Cejudo. I'm not afraid to let my bias show here. So I guess to wrap things up, just recap, I'm picking Tai Tuivasa to beat Blagoy Ivanov. I'm picking Piotr Jan to beat Jimmy Rivera. We're picking Tony Elkakui Ferguson to beat Cowboy Cerrone. And we're picking Valentina Shevchenko to beat Jessica I. And we're picking Marlon Marais to knock Henry Cringe Cejudo the fuck out. I'm getting jazzed just thinking about these fucking fights. My God, this is going to be amazing. But just to wrap things up, uh, thanks again, everybody, for all the um, interaction online and the support. Um, really means a lot. I love doing this podcast. It's one of my favorite um, parts of my weekend. And um, I'm really, really excited for these fights. Again, please leave more questions. I love it. Twitter. You can email me, fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. You can drop a line at anchor.fm slash fightingwithmyself slash message um, for those voice messages. And um, you know what? I realized I missed a voice question. Well, not really a voice question. It was a, it was a Twitter question. And uh, I have to respect it because it was in a different uh, method. And... Fuck, this will be a weird way to end the show, but let's do it. So um, the only way is MMA sends me a DM on Twitter, says, hey, dude, quick question for the podcast. And here's his question. If you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? So here's my answer. Yo, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. But on the surface, he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud. He opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's joking now. The clock runs out. Time's up. Over. Blow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbit. He chokes. He's so mad, but he won't give up that as he know. He won't have it, he knows. His whole back's at his ropes. It don't matter, he's dope. He knows that when he's broke. He's so stacked that he knows. When he goes back to his mobile home. That's when he's back to the lab again. Yo, this whole Rhapsody. He better go capture this moment and hope it don't pass him. <laughs> I really want to do that in the fucking question segment. I, I fucked up, so I'm, I'm sorry to... Uh, <laughs> the only way is MMA. He also wanted me to shout out um, Chris Genghis Black, which obviously he earned his own shout out by doing that... Uh, voice message and then uh, also shout out aj the giant's dad on twitter um love those guys and um uh, aj is from north jersey i'm from central jersey which exists by the way there's a whole contingency of people from north jersey who think that central jersey doesn't exist and there's people from south jersey who think central jersey is north jersey and dude let's just make this clear right now everything has a center so obviously there's a center of something but if you look at the way New Jersey is shaped, the way it kind of bends and, and there's a little plateau in the middle, that's clearly the center. And that's that's where I'm from. I'm from the fucking center. So God damn it, it exists. But that's a whole debate for another time. Um, AJ's a great guy. Um, he also said uh, that mine was the only podcast he listened to, which I thought was cool. And he only like, checked it out once, but, you know, still cool. Uh, dude, love these guys. And uh, I guess we'll end the podcast on that weird-ass note uh, <laughs> with that little Eminem song. Uh, you guys are great. Please, please keep it coming. Please share this podcast. Leave me a goddamn five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. 
tell your friends about it. Uh, word of mouth is the only way that podcasts really grow. So, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Signing off. This has been Fighting With Myself, the podcast for the average MMA fan, hosted by an above-average man. And I'm Juice. Good night.